Chapter Twenty of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, The Doctor's Office. When Saudi rode into Sleepy Cat next morning, it was known that he had come from the reservation, and he was besieged for news from the falling wall. At Kitchens, where he put up his horse on his way up street to his room over McAlpin's pool hall, he was assailed with questions. Pretty accurate reports of the two exciting days in the North Country had already trickled into Sleepy Cat. To these, Saudi listened with stolid attention, but he managed to add to them very little. He possessed to a degree the faculty of talking freely, sententiously even, without contributing anything strictly pertinent to the subject. What he conveyed, when he meant to withhold information, was really no more than an air of reserve in which wisdom seemed discreetly restrained. On this present occasion, he realized it would be known that he had encountered the raiders the day before at Laramie's, but while admitting this profusely, he minimized all else. Not until he had bathed, slept, shaved and set himself down near nightfall at bell shockley's did he tell any considerable part of his story but all that prudence would permit he told or rather bell demanded and received at his hands where the heart is involved the strongest men are helpless i ran into the bunch on my way down right at laramie's cabin saudi said to bell Laramie and Doubleday were having the hottest kind of a row when I rode up. I made sure we'd be shooting in the next couple of minutes. But John Lefevre was watching pretty close and holding Van Horn. Barb cooled down when he saw three of us on deck. I told him on the side the governor had telephoned Pearson, and the colonel was going to send cavalry down after him, and they had better scatter. It was a bluff, but for a few minutes I had him and Van Horn guessing. They said they'd go home when they got Hawk. Lefevre was staying up there for a day or two. What did they do after that? demanded Bell, referring to the men whose names were on everybody's tongues. Beat the bushes from Laramie's to the reservation, answered Saudi. Didn't leave a square yard of country unturned from the falling wall to the crazy woman. Will they ever find Hawk? Did you ever find a needle in a haystack? I never looked for one. Them fellers are looking for the stack. They can't locate the hay. Slip in that Worcestershire sauce, Bell. Yours truly. No more potatoes. This is a good piece of ham, Bell. I wish to God you'd serve a glass of beer with a man's supper. You can get all the supper and all the beer you want at the hotel, flared Bell. This is no blind pig. It's the only place in Main Street, then, that ain't, and it never will be, averred Bell indignantly. Come up to the hotel with me right now, returned Saudi coldly, and I'll buy you a bottle of beer. Bet you ten dollars you doesn't do it. Who the devil? Saudi almost choked as the two heard a knock at the door. Who the devil is that? he repeated. The door opened and Jim Laramie walked in. He sent his hat sailing toward the side table, stepped forward, 
and catching at the chair on the way greeted bell and her guests and sat down before a plate cover opposite saudi he pointed to what remained of saudi's supper and with knife and fork started in there's enough for me right here bell he said saudi raised his chin not this time jim not on your life that's the way you always eat my supper you eat too much henry it will kill you some time observed laramie losing no time in his initiative he ignored saudi's stare and the big man disgusted sat dumb don't surrender saudi counseled laramie keep going and excuse me if i seem to begin saudi paused his knife and fork firmly in hand but pointing helplessly into the air this is the first square meal i've had for two days he said as one whose hopes have been dashed first i've had for ten days returned laramie what are they doing up there jim asked saudi peremptorily killing their horses they won't find him saudi predicted in words inaudible six feet away i hope not how's he holding out hard hit henry will he make it you can't kill a cat well saudi resumed his supper it's your game jim not mine but i'd think twice before i'd get that range bunch after me on any man's account laramie's eyes flashed but he spoke quietly i couldn't see abe killed like a rattlesnake what are you down for i've got to have a couple of needles a little cat gut and some gauze where are you going to get em going to steal em over at doc carpy's nervy you can do it for me henry me i give you the key to his cabinet where'd you get that met him on my way in he was going up to pettigrew's to look after the wounded the window in the end of the wing opens into the operating room where the supplies are i'd look fine climbing into a window at two hundred and twenty pounds it's on the ground floor returned laramie unmoved what will the family be doing while i'm burglaring mrs carpy and the girls are in medicine bin the house is empty when you're through leave the key and the skull of the skeleton behind the door saudi stared without much enthusiasm at the little key that laramie passed to him then he slipped it without comment into his pocket the talk went on in low leisurely tones until the second portion of ham had been served when both resumed their supper as if nothing had been eaten or said afterward laramie spent an hour getting together some things he needed at home he met Saudi later at Kitchen's Barn. Saudi, with abundance of grumbling at his assignment, had the gauze and the catgut, but he had brought the key back. He could not find the surgeon's needles. There seemed nothing for it but for Laramie to go to the office and make the search himself. He thought of Belle. She would do it for him, he knew, but he felt it would not be right to mix her up in what might prove a still more tragic affair. After brief reflection, he started for Carpy's himself. The doctor's house stood back of Main Street, a block and a half from the barn. Laramie walked half a mile to reach it, choosing unlighted ways for the trip. 
The night was dark, and by crossing a vacant lot he reached the rear of the house unobserved. The office, dividing into a consulting room and an operating room, consisted of a one-story wing connecting with the residence, the consulting room adjoining the residence, the operating room occupying the end of the wing. This latter was the room Laramie sought. The window that Saudi had already burglariously entered opened easily, and Laramie, standing alone in the dark room, felt in his pocket for a match. He had been in the office more than once before, and knew about where the cabinet containing the surgical instrument stood. A connecting door led from the room he had entered to the office proper. He tried this. It was unlocked, and he left it closed. The curtains of the windows were drawn, and he took a match from his pocket, lighted it, and looked around. The first thing he saw was the articulated skeleton suspended near the door from the ceiling. It would have been a shock had he not seen it before, and being familiar with the label fastened to the breastbone, reciting that this had once been Flatnose George, an early-day desperado of the high country. Turning from this relic, Laramie set about his work, disdaining to inspect various gruesome specimens in alcohol ranged along a shelf. Aided by an occasional match, which he lighted and shielded in his left hand, he found the cabinet, and with his key opened the door. The flame of his match, too carefully guarded, flickered in his fingers, failed, and went out. He thrust it hastily into one pocket, drew a fresh match from another, and was about to scratch it across his leather wristlet when he heard a door open. The next moment he saw, under the door leading from his room to the consulting room, a flash of light. Awkward as it was to be interrupted, he faced the surprise with such composure as he could muster. Who could it be, he asked himself. The family was accounted for, the house locked. He scratched the match again. As it flared up, he looked into the cabinet, found the packet of needles, tore a card of them in two, slipped one piece in a waistcoat pocket, and closed the cabinet door. He turned to listen to the office intruder. Laramie hoped that nothing would bring the unwelcome visitor into the operating room, but as he stood awaiting developments, the unlocked door was pushed open and a tiny flashlight was thrown into the room in which he stood. Fortunately, Laramie, outside the circle of light, was left in the dark. The intruder was a woman. He shrank back, and she luckily turned her light from him, but only to encounter, as she stepped forward, flat-nosed George, no less forbidding now than he had been in life. The woman with the light started back in horror and a sharp little exclamation betrayed her identity. Laramie was at once aware that he was facing Kate Doubleday. Nothing could have pleased him less. In so small a room it was impossible to escape detection. He could almost hear her breathe and would have reveled in her presence so close, but that the apprehension of frightening her weighed on him like a mountain. Hardly daring to breathe himself, he cursed the erratic doctor's skeleton pet, hung, of all places, where every little while he was cutting people open. The skeleton had already set the girl's nerves on edge. 
what would happen if she discovered a live man as well as the ghastly remains of a dead one not to mention alcoholic clippings from other subnormal notables of the mountains with the flashlight she was evidently searching for something and laramie surmised it must be the electrical light switch i think he suggested in as steady a tone as possible you'll find the light switch to the right of the door behind you he was prepared for a scream or a swoon instead the flashlight was turned directly on him who are you came sharply and quickly from behind it i might ask the same question you can see i'm jim laramie i can guess you're kate doubleday i am and i've come here for dressings for wounded men at pettigrew's what are you doing here she demanded peremptorily his lips were sealed for more reasons than one least of all would it do for him to expose dr carpy's friendliness and embroil him in a feud which laramie knew he ought to face alone kate held the light excitingly on him it was an instant before he had his answer in hand i've lied to a good many people at different times about different things he said deliberately i've still got my first lie to tell you kate and i certainly won't tell it tonight don't ask me what i'm doing here turn on the light by the door or let me do it so i can see you you here alone no there are plenty of men outside with me she exclaimed abruptly i shouldn't have asked that question he continued in the same tone i know you're alone you say men because you're afraid of me i'm not the least afraid of you and don't deceive yourself there are men here but they're mostly in bottles kate and in pieces live men don't ride up to a place like this without making a noise flat-nosed george is the only man here besides me outside the alcohol and i can claim him as well as you can i'm sure you would feel perfectly at home with flat-nosed george she retorted swiftly as the words stung laramie kept his temper probably there's a good deal i deserve that you haven't heard about me he said slowly but from the way you talk you've heard a few things maybe i don't deserve nobody's got any right to class me with flat-nosed george or anybody else in carpy's museum you've classed yourself with him she exclaimed vehemently defending cattle thieves and harboring them everybody knows that i did talk rough to your father this morning i was pretty angry just the same don't believe everything you hear about me at present it's just us two what do you want to do surrender to me no she snapped the word out furiously i won't not if you kill me suppose i surrender to you what do you want me to do stick up my hands so far they haven't been up if i remember right but i expect i'll have to learn sometime how to surrender i want no surrender no parley with you the doctor told me this house was empty and directed me here for the dressings when i come i find you i'll get away at once before i go no i'll go but let me turn on the light he stepped to the door and pressed the button i wanted he continued as a light flooded the queer room to have just one look at you before i go 
she stood before him quite unafraid her eyes flashed as if she were actually mistress of the situation instead of really helpless in the presence of her father's most resourceful enemy laramie half smiled at her serenity why don't you go she exclaimed still regarding her he shifted his position a little and replied with entire good nature i only live along from one side to another of you i'm just filling up like a man at a spring you don't object to my only looking at you for a minute i object to being delayed and annoyed she declared in a blaze i've come here for dressings needed for wounded men well so have i if you must have it i was sent here by dr carpy for things he wants to-night you have no more right here helping yourself to his property than you have taking other people's don't say i take other people's property laramie spoke fiercely don't call me a thief his words burned with anger my hands may not be as white as yours they're just as clean stunned as she might well have been at the outburst kate stood her ground did dr carpy give you permission to come here tonight she shot the words at laramie without giving him time to breathe laramie checked the flood of anger he had loosed i don't need permission from dr carpy to come here night or day ask him if you want to he said with scornful disgust he sank down on the chair at his side in complete resentment of the whole situation and leaning forward with a hand spread over one knee and one fist clenched on the other he stared not at kate's eyes but at the floor with only her trim boots in his field of vision what's the use he exclaimed drawing the words up seemingly all the way from his own disorderly and alkali-stained foot coverings what's the use he repeated in stronger and more savage tones i've treated her from the first instant i saw her and every instant since as i thought a woman ought to be treated would like to be treated now i get my reward she calls me a thief and my god i take it i don't ride out and kill her father who taught her to do it quick as i can reach him i just take it he exclaimed he hesitated a moment then he flung a question at her like a thunderbolt what do you want here she was frightened his rage was plain enough who could tell the lengths to which it might carry him she kept her dignity but she answered and without quibbling i want some gauze and some cotton and some medicines he strode to the cabinet and concealing the movement as he unlocked it with carpy's key he threw open the glass door you'll be all right finding the stuff he said curtly taking the supplies from various cluttered piles on different shelves you say he wants this tonight he added when her packet was complete how are you going to get it to him carry it to him at pettigrew's what do you mean it would take an experienced horseman all night to ride around by black creek i'm going over the pass he could not conceal his anger does your father know that he said i might try it laramie flamed again a fine father to send a tenderfoot girl on a night ride into a country like that she was defiant i can ride anywhere a man can let me tell you he faced her and his eyes flashed 
if you try riding anywhere too often some night your father's daughter will fail to get home ignoring the door he stepped to the open window by which he had entered and springing through it was gone end of chapter twenty